Hey, my name is Connor Malley, and I'm the founder of SQR Squash Radio. And it turns out I'm a squashpreneur. What does that mean? Basically, an entrepreneur, but in the squash industry. I founded Metro Squash in Chicago. I've been a teaching professional, tried out for Team USA, came nowhere close to making the team. But years later, I did find myself on the business side as director of Team USA. I've ran the US Open while working at US Squash for several years, done consulting for squash clubs and events, even court construction. The list goes on. These days, I'm still deeply involved in squash, especially with my new role with the PSA, the Pro Squash Tour, but trying to expand into other racket sports in lighting, court construction, and strategy. There's some exciting projects I'm working on, and I can't wait to share them. But in the meantime, we hope you're enjoying these squash-focused podcasts our team is helping to put out. We love doing them, and we hope you enjoy them too. What about this? This call is being recorded. Today's guest is Daniel Maurer, who is the former national director of racket sports at Lifetime Fitness, CEO and co-founder of Global Squash, and was once named on the list of the top 50 most influential people in the sport by Squash Magazine. In this episode, we dive into what it takes to be at the helm of the most amount of squash courts in the country, some strategies that worked for Lifetime Fitness to grow awareness of squash at their clubs. Danielle talks about what Squash 3.0 is, which is an online workshop she's developed for club owners and coaches to learn some methods and strategies that helped her grow racket programs at Lifetime. Also, she shares about her health journey and the challenges she faced, but more importantly, the lessons she learned along the way. We go through the typical quickfire section where we get to know a little bit more about our guests. It was great sitting down with Danielle and hearing her approach on how to help squash grow. A quick thank you to our sponsor, Pro Sport LED, your trusted lighting source for racket sports facilities like squash, tennis, pickleball, or padel because of its advanced LED lighting technology. These lights are a perfect solution for anyone building a new facility, but they can easily be retrofitted into existing courts. If you're looking for lights or know anyone that is, please go ahead and connect us at squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you enjoyed the show. Welcome back, Squash fans, to another episode of Squash Radio. I'm very excited at this guest we have here today calling in from Atlanta is Danielle Maurer. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Connor. I'm excited to be here and uh, speak to you and your guests. Yeah, well, I know this has been a long time in the making, and what I'm going to orient the listener to who may or may not be familiar with you, but you have the distinction of being on the top 50 list of most influential people in the United States. And the reason why, among many reasons, but what I think the headline here is that you were the national director for tennis, squash, racquetball, and pickleball at Lifetime Fitness for 14 years. Yes. Yes. It's been a, it was a very long journey and I was very honored to be named uh, top 50 and win the Stuart Braun Jr. Award. Those things for me were just honorable, but really more about my team. So I feel very blessed. I do want to get into spending a little bit of time about how in your role you, you approach racket sports at Lifetime Fitness, but I got to lead off and plead ignorance here because I was talking to a friend about interviewing you and they, I said, oh, you know, Lifetime Fitness. And they asked, oh, the, the equipment company. And I actually didn't have an answer whether you guys were facilities and equipment or th- whether they were connected or not. So could you please 
completely disconnected. So okay, that's what I thought. There's equipment that's called Lifetime Fitness, and they're like bikes and treadmills, and you'll see them a lot in the gyms. It'll say Lifetime, but Lifetime has actually done an evolution where they dropped the word fitness. And okay. But for many years, it was known as fitness. They're, they're not just a gym. It's a resort. And they're about 220,000 square feet each. Some are two floors. Some are three floors. Some are four floors. But there's 158 locations across the United States with about five of them being in Canada. Wow. So can you give a little bit of a snapshot of where, and let's just talk about squash for right now with the listenership coming in. Where was squash before you joined? And then where was it when you left it? Absolutely. When I first walked into Lifetime, they were building two squash courts and two racquetball courts, which as we all know, as players, it serves neither, especially during prime time. And so there was always a competition and no way to even grow a program. So the first thing I halted was that type of a build where it had to be four courts. And I always chose four single courts because double courts took up too much real estate. So when I first walked in, it was that move, very important. They didn't have staff to put into the club. So it was recruiting. They had no programming. They had really no revenue. They had only about 5,000 people nationwide playing squash. And they had maybe 16 to 20 squash clubs. So when I walked out, we had 43. We had 20,000 players. We had a way of doing programming that worked for whatever segment you came from junior uh, to adult to beginner, intermediate or advanced competition players. So we completely flipped around and ran this model for a solid 10 years because I built that within the first two. And so you're really talking about a club whose revenues were maybe 60,000 a year to being close to 24 million by the time I walked out. Wow. If you had to sort of break down what would the key ingredients to that success, what would you say you'd point towards? The key ingredient is to serve with your heart and not with your head. Can't have ego involved. You're there to serve the players where the players are at. So adding the right team with the right mindset, the right coaches, and teaching them the formula of the right type of programming is the most important piece of any program. Unfortunately, I've seen many clubs that believe if you build it, they will come and they will not come. That's not guaranteed. It, it really is who you stand for, how you serve them. And you just have to remember that even as a coach, you are not the most important piece in the club. It is that player on the court that it is not about you. So when you make the player the star, then they flourish. They want to learn more. They want to get better. And that's really the key to success is building raving fans by building extraordinary experiences for people. If we were to kind of um, take one of you, and you don't have to name the club per se, but it, just thinking of your highest revenue producing club, it's not just about the coach. I know the coach or the pro is one component of this, but I think one thing that in clubs they look at, it's it, the success lies on the pro or not. And I think what you built up was basically more of a machine approach. You had a system. So what are some of the other key people in a club that you thought lend itself towards the success of the program overall? 
it was all the employees. So for, and I've been in many squash clubs around the world, right? I don't just entertain inside of lifetime. And what I learned for many years, I've been doing this for, oh gosh, 30 years now, is when you walk into a club and you ask about squash and nobody knows, and they hand you a business card of a pro that you have to wait to call back. And you do a tour and they tell you those are racquetball courts or they don't even know what they are. That's the first miss. That's when the heartbeat's not there. It's it's kind of an anomaly in a club. It it's, feels disconnected. So the player feels disconnected. When the player feels like nobody gets them, then they don't feel like they belong. When the club understands what the sport is and what it means to the player, then the player becomes just as important as somebody doing group fitness or yoga or personal training. Because as a community, and we are a worldwide community, we don't need to forget that. And so for the player themselves, and I don't care if you're a pro on the tour or you're an amateur or a junior just starting, the gift is one, the gift of health, the mental side and the physical side. The second one is the gift of community because it builds community and you're with people who are of like minds and it builds lifelong friendships. And I think that if you're a squash player listening, you could go back and think about the people you have met on court that you're still friends with. Maybe you go on vacation with them. You can't wait to see them during a, a championship. It is so much different from group fitness because you can really go into a class or work with a trainer. Nobody even knows you're there, but maybe one person, if that. And so there isn't a sense of community or friendship or yes, health, but not those things. So squash, squash is very unique in those gifts. Sometimes I like to use the analogy of a restaurant to help describe it, you know, and, and I want to drill down more on, on the, the staffing roles. Uh, and I love what you said that it really needs to be a team effort in order to, to pull this together. But if you think of it as the pro is like a chef, right? but they can't run a restaurant really by themselves. And you need a server, you need a bar back, you need a bartender, you need all of that component adds towards the success of a restaurant. So how would you go about educating, training, or, or, or helping these people learn more about squash? And what were some of those roles? And you probably, they, they all needed different information. There's, I'm sure there's the core basics, but then how would you work to train them in other areas? You know, that was my job every day, all day long. <laughs> Is that right? So, oh, absolutely. Because it was an education and I can't tell you, and I learned through my husband actually, because my husband first started in the States as a coach and I saw his first job in the States where they just said, there are the courts. We don't know what to tell you. And so many pros, so many coaches are treated that way. They're hired and they're told the courts are that way and they have nobody to talk to. They can't brainstorm. They get no support from the club because even the general manager doesn't know how to speak squash. Yeah. So if I go back to your analogy and tell you that that's what I did all day long, one, it was educating the pros to be the best that they could be, the best version they could be for their members every single day and have a framework and a laid out plan that we never ripped up the playbook. We might tweak it, but we don't rip it up and start over that it was cookie cut, it was flawless. But for the rest of the team, they didn't need to understand how the forehand and the backhand and the serve and your footwork works. But what they needed to understand is what the players got out of it. They needed to understand what it meant to make 
that piece of the club work well. They needed to be able to answer the basics for an amateur and not count just on the pro. And the GMs needed to understand how to support the pros when they raised their hands. So it was a very tight-knit family feel and not I'm on my own. That's really important. And when you look at it, your analogy of a restaurant, it's from the maitre d' to the server, to the bus person, to the prep people in the back of the kitchen, to the chef. All of it makes it successful. And this is the same concept of creating the documents so that they would understand, hosting training calls, walking through it. They always knew whether you were the pro or you were the GM or a leader in the company. If you had a question, you had me. And I was there to answer the questions and walk you through it so that you were able to feel empowered in your role. And I think that's what many clubs are missing. Many clubs are missing the person who teaches that education. That makes a a lot of sense. And we know that education is key. And I don't think I'd fully appreciated that you really need everyone at the club to at least know the 101s. I'd like to sort of shift the conversation a little bit. And I remember having this conversation with you Gosh, it must have been like maybe 10 years ago at this point, but it was fascinating to me. And I know you can't probably speak to all of it. And it had to do with how squash was or was not included in certain locations at Lifetime Fitness. And let's talk about first about how that process works or whatever you can share. And then I'd love to get into the business case of what you had to make. So how did that work in terms of site selection of squash even being included? Why or why not it would be included? So when you build a club like a lifetime that is 220,000 square feet, the first thing that the squash community will say is, well, every club needs to have squash. It would be the same as a tennis player. Every club needs to have tennis. And that's not the case. So the reality is, is I had to break some hearts in some communities because when you only have a certain amount of square footage, everything you put into a building has to be able to have a return on investment. And people just unfortunately think, well, the cost of the court is only this, but that's not the cost of the court. That's not the true investment. The true investment is the space you've taken, the building of the courts, the maintaining of the courts, the staffing of the courts, and it becomes extremely expensive. Same in tennis. It doesn't matter what business you're running inside of a building like that. It's that's the way that it goes. And you need to be able to return back. So you had to do the research. You had to prove the case that squash was the right move in that building. So it wasn't about, well, if you build it, they will come because they don't. Just because you put it in an area where you think you can get 20 players, 20 players isn't going to help you on the return on investment. It is going to take you much longer to build it to a number that makes it make sense over another program. And therefore, if we think about it, squash is, we don't technically charge for court time like tennis does. It's two players on a court. So if you had four courts in an hour, maybe eight people, that you're serving and that's free time. And then you have your program time and obviously they're paying their dues. So if you really think about it and do the math, you've got to have a really compelling story to get the squash courts in there. And what that means is 
there needs to be a healthy squash community there to start with and a big demand. And then you got to go in there and you got to do it right. Cause it's not about stealing competitors, players. It's not, it, it's about going in and being the best that you can be and letting people choose and then growing it from there and grabbing all those fitness members and teaching them how important squash could be in their life and going off from there. So I've seen many communities uh, where the passion, we all have a passion. We all want to see squash grow, but squash growing is not always building the courts. Squash growing is how you're going to get people on the courts. How are you going to keep them on the courts? Actually having a plan. So people will go out and build and invest money and then you see them fold because they didn't really understand what it meant to maintain. They only thought about the money it costs to get it up. So going back to, we were talking about the site selection process and how you have to make uh, the case for every sport within a potential site. Let's leave lifetime fitness and, and just draw your experience of, let's just say that there's a club out there that is trying to work with management and trying to work with leadership to help them understand why squash should or should not be included. What are some of the insights you can share what you've learned during your time at Lifetime? So the story can be very powerful and we forget to tell it. And unfortunately for many fitness centers, the membership dues have always been outside of a profit and loss statement, a PL, the financials of any one program. And it wouldn't be just squash. It would be any other thing that they have in the building that they're measuring. You, first of all, you need to have a way to measure what you are contributing to your club. And by measurement, I mean, you need to know what your court utilization is. You need to know how many total members you have. You need to know what is the dues. So even if it's not in your financials, when you're talking to your leadership, you can kind of say, and if we include the dues, this now becomes a blank business. You need to know your center revenues how much money are you bringing in and how much money are you spending? Because the reality is, is that there are many clubs. There are many programs that lose money on squash because they're not including the dues. It's just straight every dollar in for a lesson. How much does that cost me on payroll? If we start adding in green cards and visas and all that fun on yards, I mean, it, it can be staggering, especially if you have more than one pro. So you need to know the full story measure it and prove it. And you need to have that conversation every single month. Here's how my month was this, you know, this is December. I closed December. We brought in this much in programming, this much in dues. Last year, it was this. So we grew by blank. And next month, I plan on doing this a little bit of forecasting and delivering. So there's an art and science to it. Yeah, I think that that's a really good point that a lot of times we're just not measuring it. And then that's step one. And then how to share that story is very important. And it's got to be told often. I'm curious, because you had a lot of racket sports under your purview. What were some of the, the macro insights that you're gathering? Or how would you? Yeah, what were some of the macro insights that you had of, of how you looked at tennis, racquetball, squash and pickleball? What was most telling to you of the differences and or the similarities? They're all similar. All the racket sports are similar. We'd like to think that they're not, but they are because here's what is the through line, the common threads, whichever one of the racket sports you play to the 
player to the member, it is the most important thing in their life. And they're extremely passionate and it is the best thing in their life. So if squash were to think that racquetball doesn't think it's important, you're wrong. If pickleball were to say tennis players, now you're wrong. They're all equal and they all want their time to play and they all want to be served at a high level and they all want access and they all want it to grow. That's very important. But when you look at a, a sport like that and you say, well, what do you, what do you measure that by? Like, how do you know you're doing a good job? How do you know if you're, you know, not so good, you're good, you want to go to great, and then you want to go to exceptional. And that all comes down to how the players vote with their feet and their wallets, right? And that's utilization. You've got to know your utilization. You have to be really honest with yourself because if I'm a leader, if I'm the check writer in the club or from corporate and I walk into my club and I see the machines being used and the group fitness class going and people eating in my cafe and then it's the middle of the day and the squash courts are empty or the tennis courts are empty because we're working, well, quickly, visually, it's not working, right? And it's the first uh, mindset block that's built. And that's why knowing your utilization and knowing when your hot spots are and focusing on driving traffic to your low spots is how you go from good to extraordinary. I completely agree. I'm so glad you said it that I do think all racket sports do matter. And I do think over the next decade, we're going to see more of a trend of racket sports working more together just because more of them are coming on board like with pickleball and i'm really excited about a new sport coming to the u.s padel which has been huge in argentina and spain and i do see that kind of you know pickleball and padel potentially being gateway racket sports into the other sports so i love what you were talking about in terms of like we got to make sure that we're measuring because if it doesn't and i've there's the expression if you don't measure it doesn't matter and so I'm curious with your purview of looking at multiple racket sports, what were some of the, whether it's the utilization or what were some trends that you notice in comparison to other racket sports? Well, I'll compare two of them and I'll compare the tennis to the squash because they do get compared quite frequently, not just from business owners and investors, but from the amateur players as well. And the reality is that tennis will always have a higher utilization than squash. So there's different reasons for that. One, there are more women playing tennis and there are more women that are stay home moms. So they have the time during the day, during the non-prime hours to come in and play. There are more juniors playing and some juniors are actually homeschooled because there's more divisional tennis in colleges. And then you have the prime time where people are fighting to get on court. And that's when the professionals are coming and people have, you know, the regular jobs and, and squash just doesn't have that full gamut yet. And therefore we have a lot of downtime. And I would say that racquetball is very much the same, very much the same. Pickleball is not seeing that right now because pickleball can be young kids and it can be a lot more of people who are older that are retired. So they have time during the day. And what you're seeing now is tennis courts that are either transitioned, they play both tennis and, and pickleball, or they're completely converted because the seniors are able to come out and play during the day during the club's low times. There's another part of this that we're going to dive into that you may answer this question here, but 
so give us only the hot take. <laughs> Do you think in using that analysis that tennis has higher utilization, right? And squash is there's certainly opportunity in that way is a nice way of saying it. Do you think it's a gap we can actually close or is there a fundamental flaw in our sport it that is we're not seeing? Yeah, it's, it is a gap that can be closed. Okay. Well, that's a little teaser to what we'll talk in with, the, I'm sure, Squash 3.0. But it's just nice to know that for those of us who love the sport so much, we have to be mindful of our own blind spots. And I, I do believe we can close that gap. But I think going back to more of what you said in the beginning of like, it can't just be squash players themselves or squash pros. We really need to educate all staff members within every facility of understanding why this sport is great. Correct. I do want to take a quick sidestep here because obviously with your time at Lifetime Fitness, I, I know this kind of overlap that both yourself and your husband, Andre, had some health challenges along the way. And I'd love for you to kind of spend some time because here you are in a high powered position, <laughs> creating a balancing act of all of those sports and doing that. Yet there's also a human behind that. And we can all face challenges sometimes. So can you touch a little bit about how that health journey impacted you and your husband? Yes. So I'm not sure if most of the audience should know who Andre Maurer is because he's been on the circuit. We run an eight city tour at Lifetime. We ran the Jamaica Open for many years, but we are the couple in this sport with incredible passion for it, passion for the player wherever they are. So therefore we serve from the heart at all times and it is nonstop. And there are a lot of requests <laughs> and we try to deliver them all. I work for a for-profit, I did work for a for-profit company, but within that I am mission-based. And you do absorb a lot of stress. You do do a lot of travel. You do sacrifice you at moments. And so I found myself in a 26 hour coma and I should have been dead, but I had had a stroke and it took about three and a half years to recover from. And while not paralyzed on one side, I couldn't speak. I, I had short term memory and some other memory issues. Couldn't do math. Couldn't see. I crawl on the floor many days. And that's just touching on some of the ailments of what I went through. And my husband had five heart attacks and had to have two stents all while my daughter was in her final senior year of high school, getting ready to graduate and go to college. Right. And yet I never stopped. I didn't resign my job. I didn't miss a day. I think I was still doing stuff from the laptop, whether it made sense or not to people, but I did because it was in my heart to serve. So the reality is, is the lessons, right? Not the journey of the stroke or the heart attack. It's how do you take that? You know, how, how did I go from there to who I am right now? And it took me a while to learn the lessons. It was a gift. And, and most people would say, really, aren't you the victim? And aren't you the survivor? And I don't like those words in anything that happens in life. And now that I am a high performance coach, I will say to you, and I've learned it from the master himself, life happens for you and not to you. And that's a very key, important lesson to understand in mindset. The lessons I've learned was the grit, the strength, um, the courage that I had 
that I can apply to anything in life. And the lesson that your listeners can take, which is really the gift that I get to give other people is regardless of what's happening in your life. And we're going to have many roadblocks. You will flourish. You can overcome anything, but you have a choice. It's like I was taught by one of my mentors, this incredible story, and it is an old Cherokee story. And it was taught to me by Dean Graziosi. And it's the story of two wolves. And I will give it to you very simple. There are two wolves. There's the dark wolf and there's the light wolf. And the dark wolf and the light wolf represent the duality in all of us. All of us have it. The dark wolf is the limiting beliefs, the self-doubt, the the negative things that you tell yourself, the fear, it's the I can't, it's the I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I'm too old, I'm too young, I didn't have the right education, I can't win that match, I don't have the right skills, I'm too tired, oh, I'm sick, oh, I have... But the white wolf, the light wolf, is the I can, and I believe in me, And I'm not those labels and I have the courage and I have the strength. So the question you have to ask yourself is which wolf survives? The wolf that lives is the one you feed. Hmm. So the question for you is every day, which wolf are you going to feed? I chose not to feed the dark wolf. When doctors told me there was no way I could get better. When doctors told me that I was still going to die, I didn't feed the dark wolf. I fed the other wolf and I live by that every single day. And every day when I think I'm afraid or because that's life, right? If you're not afraid, you're not growing, you're not achieving. When you step up on a court and you're in a match and you walk out and you think you're going to lose, you're not sure if you're going to win. Guess what? You just beat yourself. You lost. Which wolf are you going to feed? And it's the greatest lesson of life and it can change your perspective. It can change the way you think about things and it can fuel you, whether it be in relationships, in business or in sports, you teach your kids this, what wolf are you going to feed today? I definitely agree that. And what a, it's, I, I don't know what the right word is to say, like, I'm sorry you went through that, but it's also, I do think that there are huge, like you said, growth opportunities in hidden places. And I try and embrace that myself, but I'm curious. So in terms of how you choose to feed the wolf, was there a lifestyle change that you can recommend in practice or like a daily routine that, or one thing that you do that helps? And I'm I'm sure there's many, but like, what's one thing that you try and make sure to do to help feed the right wolf? To feed the right wolf, you have to have the right mindset. It's all in how you see things. We can always see the bad things in life, but if you really pay attention, you can always find the good. Wherever there's bad, there's always good. So it's what you focus on. So if you don't have the right mindset and you're sitting there and you think that you're the victim and why did this happen to me? You're done. You're done. I had to believe that I could get better. I had to tell myself I could do this. And so the lesson was, wow, how incredibly strong was I? We're going to take a quick break to hear a word about our sponsor. So Lee... We want to thank you for being our first sponsor on Squash Radio. 
and just want to say you sponsored other avenues but squash is always where your heart's at what does it mean to you to be sponsoring squash I think there's just a, a lot of interesting people in the sports. I've attended junior tournaments, I've been to professional tournaments, and you can always get into some engaging conversations. And I think Squash Radio is an avenue of bringing those people to the forefront. And I'm sure a lot of people would like to listen to And sponsoring this, we're just uh, facilitating that. That was Lee Witham, who is the CEO of Pro Sports LED, the sponsor of this podcast. You probably don't even think about lighting, and neither did we until we started talking to Lee. And now we totally get the problem that Pro Sport LED is fixing. And we know maybe that's not you now, or maybe not you ever. But if you know anyone who might be interested or need to improve their lighting for squash, tennis, soccer, you name it, it would mean a lot to us and our sponsor if you'd put us in touch. You can go to squashradio.com slash LED or email squashradio at gmail.com. That's squashradio at gmail.com. Thank you again and back to our show. Well, but before, it's a little bit of a hard shift, but I want to make sure we give enough time for the, the exciting project you're working on now of Squash 3.0 Elevated. And uh, tell us a little bit how this came to be and what's going on with the Squash 3.0. So after leaving Lifetime, I can never leave the Squash community. I mean, everybody's in my heart. Uh, All the players I've met across the world, all of the coaches, all of the pros on the world tour, my husband as well, he still coaches. And, you know, how do you give in an industry that you watch in 2020 starts to kind of go down and people are so full of fear? and coaches are full of fear. The tour is only just kind of creeping in and people are afraid that the entire industry could go down. And in some places, some clubs aren't even open. You don't have access to the courts. So how do you serve? And I had many coaches call for advice. What do I do? What do I do? And so Squash 3.0 came about and it's for the coaches. It's to teach them everything give them the gift of everything that i've learned in the past 14 years along with a new way of thinking in programming and talking to the amateur players in order to fill the gaps that we talked about in order to get them back on the court and part of its mindset a lot of it is how to properly market because unfortunately if you're a coach anywhere in the world You go get certified and they all know how to do the forehand, backhand and and teach you how to play, but they're never taught how to market the business side, how to grow programming. What is the right programming? Instead, they're all kind of copying each other. And like I said, it's decades old. We are trading time for money. And it's the biggest mistake you could ever make. You need, you need to sell outcomes, not time. If you are, if you were an amateur player and you were my coach, Connor, if I'm the amateur and I came to you and I said, Hey, I I just can't win my matches. My serve is terrible. And you start telling me about how much your time costs. You're not serving me. You didn't hear me. But if you start talking to me about how you're going to get my outcome of improving my serve, it's a whole different way of building programming and marketing 
and getting it out there and building that brand in order to tell people to come play with you. I want the coaches to get out of their heads and go into their hearts. If you're in your head, you're dead. If you serve with your heart, people will follow that and they will feel it. And it has to be authentic and genuine. So Squash 3.0 is an online virtual challenge. And it is free for the coaches. It is not for the amateur players. It is for anyone who either owns a program or is on the court coaching. And that is going to be September 28th, 29th, and 30th. And there will be a link dropped in my Facebook group, which is Global Squash. And, and you'll start to see the funnels and everything come out in order to promote it. But it really is for the coaches to make it the world right for the amateurs. And it's a three-day event, but how long is it? You said it's all virtual. Just give a little bit more detail yeah. like what, what a participant might um, so the might expect. And then, and then what would the outcome be? So the participants are going to go into a Zoom. So we're going to be live. And we're going to spend three days, three hours a day. Each day is designed to touch on a different point. The first day I call Awaken. And what we're going to do is gain great clarity on where you are now and where you need to be. It, it is an honest conversation of here's where I'm at and here's where we need to be. And we're going to close those gaps. The second day is focused on becoming and becoming is more about the programming, understanding a value ladder, understanding how to build programming based on outcomes and how to copyright that messaging. So it reflects. And the third day is really about catapulting and learning how to market properly, especially in social media with all the algorithms that are going on and how to segment all of your clients in order to speak to each of them individually. Right now, one of the biggest mistakes is they send an email and in the bottom is a list of all their programs, but you don't talk to a junior or a parent of a junior the same way you would talk to an adult. You don't talk to a beginner who just wants to play for fun against a beginner who wants to become competitive. And the more you understand the right messaging for the right people is how you start to fill in the gaps. So the outcome is to redesign your program, you will have the capabilities to do it, but you got to go and do it. I can give you all the knowledge I have, and you're going to get your questions and your answers done in those three days because you're live with me. I will hold nothing back. And the outcome is for you to either elevate your program, regardless of where it is, to be the best that you can be, or to actually restart it because it's been in a lockdown and it doesn't look anything like it did in 2019. And so what happens after the three days? Is there more to this program? What happens then? For those that want to go deeper, there is going to be an online course that they can take that is filled with live workshops. So in my world, I've gone through many online courses. And unfortunately, you can take an online course and never have your question answered. And it's kind of like a do it yourself. And this is more of a do it with me. So you'll go through and you'll do modules to really dig as deep as we can go because we can only cover certain things in three days and pull it all apart and teach financials and teach how to speak to that leadership and how even if there's not someone like me sitting in your company up in the corporate office, how do you get your whole building to rally behind you to understand the basics? So everything that we talked about, telling the story and measuring it, all of that will be part of that course. But the deal is that each week there'll be 
a workshop where you're live with me in Zoom, private workshop, and now you can get your questions answered. And you can actually build it out and have somebody look over your shoulder and give you one of these. It is not about competing with the other pros. There's enough for everybody around the world. And this works for everybody around the world. The player is not different depending on the culture and the language that they speak. Maybe the way they hit their forehand and backhand might be, but not what they need to get where they want to go, right? Not to speak to their heart and deliver the passion and keep them passionate about where they are and on the courts and actually attract other players. All of that is so key. And there's so many coaches out there who don't know that. So I'm asking coaches to come and leave the ego behind so that we can serve from the heart because it only benefits them and the players in their clubs. I can certainly appreciate, and I do think it's the right sort of top-down philosophy to go through. I'm mindful that there's always skeptics, right? Mm -hmm. And that wants to jump to uh, a certain, well, you know, tell me this. So what's, without giving the answer away, what's a, a question that you think that will be asked and answered during this three-day course that will be insightful? I think the question is, why should I do this? Why should I have a new way of thinking? And the answer is because coaches don't serve themselves, they serve others. And are you serving well? Are you serving at the highest level? It's always said to get is to give. If you're a coach because you wanna give back to the sport because someone gave it to you and you wanna grow, then this is the path for you. There will be some that have an older mindset who this isn't the right place for them, but there are many who want a new way there are many who want to learn. The moment we think that we can't grow and we shouldn't learn, we're stagnant. And I know that there are so many coaches that just want to see their students do well. In tennis, I would meet many coaches that their only goal was to put somebody into the US Open so they could sit in the box. As coaches, it is not the feather in our hat. It's the feather we put into the person we're serving. And sometimes we've lost sight of that. So the questions will always be the why. Why should I do that? Why would it benefit me? Why should I listen to you? I've been doing squash for 15 years, five years. But the question is, the real question is, are you really the best that you can be? Are you really serving at the highest? Have you completely maximized your program and your members? For many, the answer is no. And it sounds like you can maybe address it at Squash 3.0. I love it. Well, let's uh, segue into the quickfire section. And this is just where I ask uh, some standard questions of every guest. And it's always interesting to hear their take on it. We get to know you a little bit better. And if it goes nowhere, that's no problem. You can answer them as, as uh, briefly as you want or with more details. What is something, and this doesn't have to be in Squash world, mm -hmm. so just in general, what gets you fired up? And this can both be either something positive that moves you to action or something negative that moves you to action. But either way, what gets Danielle Maurer fired up? What gets me fired up is, is the moment when I'm able to help somebody become more successful or obtain their dreams and their goals. There is nothing more noble to me. I've dedicated my life to it. That's when I can put my head on the pillow at the end of the night. And so while I am doing squash 3.0 for the coaches, the reality is that I've become a mindset coach mm. because to help people have breakthroughs and um, 
whether it be in relationships, whether it be at the work, when they believe that they can't, and I, I teach them that they can, and I see them actually go do that, there's nothing more that makes me sing. Nothing more that lights me up. Well, so this actually, it's interesting. Uh, my next question actually is, what is something, uh, either an activity or something physical, that brings you disproportionate happiness? So I got to tell you, you already used that one. And I'm also going to take away dogs and family because I think that those are kind of the obvious ones. So what else brings you in your life disproportionate joy? And it can be a thing or an activity. Traveling. My husband and I have traveled the world and we specifically do that in order to meet other cultures and understand different people, different perspectives of life. And to me, I never had the opportunity when I grew up to do that. It was only until I actually married my husband. But the places we've been, the people we've met, the cultures we've learned about, the foods that we have eaten have been eye-opening because it allows me, whether I agree with someone or not, to understand them and to respect where they are, even though it might be different from me. And that is eye-opening for me. It's a, it's a gift. So travel is huge. Was there any place that you were kind of on the fence about going and mm -hmm. were so glad that you went? Egypt. Yeah. 2019. I was really nervous to go to Egypt and uh, it was absolutely stunning. And we did do the, the Nile trip and all of the pyramids and the, the Valley of the Kings, but it was more the people, the food, the culture, understanding how they, they lived. And we were there to see the squash event, actually. Which, um, so which we, which one did you, Alguna uh, or? Oh my gosh. It was in October because I know now they have like three of them. So the, was, black, the black ball the black, one? Uh, yeah. So right in between the pyramids. It was un unbelievable and it was a great event. But more than that, it was that journey into, you know, like I don't always do just the touristy things. I like to look for the local stuff <laughs> and live like a local. I know many people say that, but... I just have deep respect. I think the only other place that was close was Morocco. Mm, I, I do want to go to Morocco. I Likewise, I was traveling. Uh, the only time I went to Egypt was traveling with Team USA. Uh, and I wish I had more time there to kind of mm -hmm. be on my own schedule and go do a lot of those other activities. But it was an amazing place. I do have to say I've never been more terrified in a car. Yes, uh, I was too, because lines are just suggested. So, oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So I, I do. It, it was you just have to let go, which is a, an important thing to. I think uh, I closed my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think I turned to my husband at one point and I said, so are the lines optional or are they are you supposed to drive in between them? I don't yeah. And I, I and it was busy, it was busy traffic. And I just put my head back and closed my eyes and hey, we made it. I'm still here, right? Exactly. Yep. As terrified as I was, I actually didn't see any accidents. So there no. you go. So next question is, I'm sure you're familiar with TED Talks. And mm -hmm. so this scenario for your TED Talk here is you couldn't give a TED Talk about anything that you're actually well known for. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to ask you to kind of, and it could be something that we just don't know about you or something you've been wanting to explore and then or try and then that would be your TED talk. So what would be your TED talk? So I'm not known for being a mindset coach. I'm known for being the the national director of racket sports, right? And yeah. squash girl. So 
it would be mindset. It would be emotional mastery. I would teach people how to do emotional mastery because it's the biggest gift you can give somebody. I like it. Is there anything that roots back to sort of the genesis of inspiration for becoming a mindset coach? The stroke. Yeah. It was really the stroke. And I would have to say that in 2020, while I left my position at Lifetime, right? Because they, they, they reduced staffed. We were all furloughed. And then, you know, many of us were cut and I was one of them. I was so excited <laughs> because I felt like the, the handcuffs re were removed. And I don't mean that in the way of the players or the people I was serving were my handcuff. It, it was a very high pressure job. When I had the stroke, I knew I was, I was meant for more and I was meant to serve people like I always had in leadership because it was always about them and not me in a much bigger way. And I didn't quite know what that meant. And in March of 2020, I literally said, you know what? I, I get everything shutting down, but this is my moment. I got to figure out me. And I went and I did self-development for me. And I dug really, 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 really deep. And I got rid of limiting beliefs. And then all of a sudden it just came to me as the aha. And I completely submerged myself. Like people have been asking, where are you? Like, where have you been? And I've been in this world of learning mindset and emotional mastery and becoming a coach in order to launch. And that's what I'm doing now. I'm, I'm launching me this year. I, I learned all the capabilities and now I'm ready to launch. And the people that I've helped along the way, it's just been an absolutely stunning, beautiful journey. But the more amazing part is as I, I've moderated for Tony Robbins and for Dean Graziosi, and they do challenges all the time online. And at one point it was just shy of a million people. Another one was the one I just did was 20,000 people. I see people from around the world chiming in that were awoken to knowing they had a different call to knowing that it wasn't always just a corporate job and I'm not knocking them, believe me. Um, but knowing that they wanted to serve others and seeing this great shift in humanity was really the gift of COVID. And I was one of them. So I completely understand their journey and the why. I think a lot of people similar to yourself were given and, and not to take away from any of the challenges that mm -hmm. a lot of people have experience and still experience but a lot of them i think did look inward and, and found is this really what i want and is there more and i think we're also going to be seeing another wave of that with the you know a lot of corporations are are going to be a lot of people are going to be the the next migration of people leaving those jobs because it's been a, taking a big toll on them especially so we're excited for you so the the last um question i have for you and I, I've I've changed this over over the years, but it's do you have any books you might recommend to people and why? But I also because this is a podcast and I've been consuming more podcasts. It can be podcast or book. So which one would you tend to recommend for people? You know, I've never really been the book reader until last year, um, and now it's it's books galore. <laughs> so I'd rather give the authors because. Some of them have a few books that are just mind boggling and can really move you from one place to the other, regardless of which one you read. Well, so, let, well I'm going to challenge you to pick one. One. Okay. One. And what would you gift? Like if, and again, because I know it would be, it would very much 
depend on who that person is and where they are. And you would probably tailor it to them. But I'm saying, what would you gift? Because it was such a gift to you. What would you want to give to others? Dean Graziosi, Millionaire Mindset. What was the high level sort of takeaway or insight for you? The high level takeaway is that really what he teaches isn't about being a millionaire in money. It's, it's about being rich in life. And so all of the things that he teaches are small things that you can adopt to make big changes. You know, they say small hinges swing big doors, right? So learning the capabilities of let's let go of the news. The news is not anything exciting and anything positive in your life, right? They create headlines in order to create fear because that's how they earn money and get viewership. So if you're stressed out, I want to scrap the news. I haven't watched TV in the news in eight months, right? Um, not picking up your phone when you first get up in the morning. Don't go for the emails, right? Because what's in there could set your day. Having a morning routine, those things are, are so key. It's just little small things like that that really shift who you are and make you more powerful and let you control your life than allowing the outside forces control you. And those things make you a millionaire. And those things change the way you you operate from the moment you get up until you go to sleep. You know, I think I've been doing a lot of the same thing there in terms of what you touched on with, I call it your digital digest. I think we're, we're very familiar with like, hey, look, maybe having donuts every day isn't good for you. Yet we don't put that mindset towards, uh, well, what are you consuming from an information point of view? And so I call it my digital digest. And it certainly has, uh, it's by being aware of it first of all, and then seeing the impact it has on you has really helped me adjust a lot. You know, I, unfortunately, some of the tools I have to use for business do involve social media. So it's hard not to get the temptation if you, if you keep going to a donut store, so to speak, but I'm trying to try my best there. So. But I live, I live in a social media world as well, but the golden rule is use technology, but don't let technology use you. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure and a long time in the making. Thank you for taking the time to be on here. And I've loved all the work you've been doing and the impact you've had on Squash United States. But I, I think there are some words that you talked about with health, community, and friends around the world that really resonates with all squash players. And, you know, th so thank you for what you have done and what you continue to do. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. And I really wish you and, and all of your listeners the greatest success, the best life. I know that we're in challenging times. Believe me, my daughter's home from college with COVID herself. So I, I wish everybody everything you want in life. But I just swear, watch the wolf, feed the right wolf, right? That's right. the big takeaway. All right. Thanks, Danielle. You're welcome. Well, thank you so much for your time today and for joining us on Squash Radio. We hope you enjoyed this latest episode. But before you leave, we just have one quick last message. As you know, Squash Radio wants to help tell some of the best stories from Squash World. But in order to do that, we want and welcome your help. Do you know a person or a story that involves squash that is interesting, funny, moved you, you care about, reflects your passion for the sport? Well, share it with us and let's try and get it out there on the air. You can email me at squashradio at gmail.com or reach out to us on social media. Again, thanks for your time and, well, 
Until next time, be well and have fun.